Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Love you guys. Thank you so much, worship team. So here, here's what I want to do this morning. As I was studying about offense and I was studying about um, different accounts in the Bible, I felt like I wanted us to pretend this morning like we're fish and see if we can identify some bait. Because the interesting thing about offense is, like I said, it's not, the, it's not the devil in the red suit with the pitchfork coming at you because we would all see that coming. But offense comes in a way that we don't see it coming. And so I think if we can look at some accounts, we can see what happened in their life and how they got offended and what happened to them. And then it will help us identify what bait can look like. Amen? All right, so let's start at the very beginning. We're going to go back. Do I need to pull it in? Okay. Is that better? Hello. This is God talking. What about now? Is that better? Yeah? Good enough? Okay. All right. So let's go over to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We might as well start at the very beginning. Amen? So Adam and Eve... They had a son. Their first child's name was Cain. Then they had another son. They had a son named Abel. Later, they had more children, but let's just focus on them. And, and I'm going to have Tabitha help me here in Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. Okay, so I want to point out something in that first scripture. Look, Cain brought some. He brought some of the crops as, a, as an offering to the Lord. I think it's interesting that they're giving an offering to the Lord way back here in Genesis. But here Cain gives some of his crops, but Abel gives the fat portion. He gives the best of his crops. He gives the firstborn of his crops. Let's read the rest of that verse into verse five. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. So, so the Lord accepts Abel. He accepts his offering that he brings. He does not accept Cain. And so now Cain gets angry as a result of that. So now, now he's offended. Now I think we can, we can, we can see the very first um, indication of, of what bait looks like. He likes Abel. God likes Abel better than he likes me. This is pretty common. Uh, they just like him better. She's more talented. She's more gifted than I am. He's, he's more administrative than I am. That's why... They picked him. See how offense sneaks in? And he's angry. He's angry at this. And, and, the, and it says that he looked dejected. He put his head down. He's like, oh man, God doesn't like me. He likes Abel. So this is the first bait. Now read verse six and let's see God's response to this. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. Okay. So you will be accepted if you do what is right. So what God is saying is, this is not about personality. This is not about me liking 
Abel and not liking you. This isn't personal. It's if you do what is right, I will accept you. I was thinking about the best way for me to, to think about it. I thought about my kids. We have, of course, Zach is our son, but then we have a daughter named Becca. She lives in Tulsa. She's happily married to an amazing man of God, a son in love. And I think about when they were growing up, I always loved them. Still to this day, I love them the same. I don't love one over the other. I love both of them the same. And there's nothing that they can do to take that love away. However, am I always pleased with them? Was I always pleased with them? <laughs> Zach saying, no. <laughs> you know, now, yes. I mean, I'm so pleased. He is my son in whom I am well pleased, you know, because of the way he's pursuing God and the choices that he's making in life, same with my daughter. But let me tell you, when they were growing up and they were getting, you know, things cut off of their life, I wasn't always pleased. So here God is the same way. He's like, I love you both the same. I'm pleased with what Abel did because he brought the right kind of offering. I'm not pleased with what you did, but... If you change it, you will be accepted. If you come back and, and bring, it, bring the offering the way you're supposed to, I will accept you just like I accepted Abel. Let's pick back up. Thanks, Tabitha. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Mm, watch out. Sin or offense is crouching at the door. It's an unwelcome visitor. Visitors don't crouch at your door. That's freaky. It's spooky. Somebody crouching at your door, it's like, okay, get my nine millimeter because I don't know what's getting ready to happen here. I remember I hadn't seen a friend of mine in a long, long time. High school buddy. And I found out where he lived and he had been reaching out to me. And I thought, well, I'm going to surprise him and go over to his house. Whoa. I knocked, I rang the doorbell and he has no welcome light on. He opens the door like this and he's got one hand behind his back. And I'm like, dude, it's me, Phil. I'm Phil. Went to high school together, dude. He goes, oh, hey, Phil. And yeah, he pulled out, he has nine millimeter behind his back. So anyway, sorry, made me think of that fruit. So let's look at, we just read Cain's account. So let's look at what some of this fruit is for Cain. Number one, God likes Abel better than me. They like, they like them better than me. That was the first offense. So this is a lie of the enemy. God doesn't like other people better than you. What Abel did pleased God. What Cain did did not please God. So offense takes things personally. Offense always takes things personally. Hmm. I, I have a friend. <clears throat> I have a friend who... Um, he ran a missions department for a, very, uh, uh, for a very large church. And he was sharing with me the story about how when he took the missions department over, um, there were hundreds of employees in this church. And so each department had its own budgets. So everybody had a budget that they could spend each year. And he was no different than any of the other departments. He had a set budget. Well, the pastor came to him and the pastor had a vision for the Bible school. He told my friend, he said, he said, you know, I believe that we could have a Bible school in every country, in every one of these nations, 
around the world. We could have a Bible school in there. And he really caught the vision. And he and his, he had an assistant and they pulled some volunteers together. They began to brainstorm and look at ways that they could um, make this happen. And they put together a strategy, put together a plan and estimated what it was going to cost. And they didn't take that cost to the pastor because they've already allocated a budget he instead reached out to business people that he knew, business owners, people that he knew that had resources and finances. And they began to present the idea to business people in the church, but as well as people that he just had relationship with. He raised a quarter of a million dollars. Not bad. And they started translating the Bible school into all these different languages. And they already had contact with missionaries in these different nations. And Bible schools began to get started and they began to ship, uh, you know, curriculum over. And so what happened was in the midst of that, they realized they needed more equipment. And the office that they had was in an old building. It was in this old building that was given to the church. And in this building, I mean, he had, they had two desks, he and his assistant, and they look like used car sales desks, you know, these old whatever peeling and things are coming off. And, and he said, man, we, it'd be great if we could, you know, redo our office and make it look, bring it up to speed. And so they did. They redesigned the office. They got new carpet in, new furniture, new equipment so that they, they could do their job better. Well, he said something interesting started to happen. Other staff members began to look at me with a different countenance a dejected, look, pastor likes you better. I mean, he's giving you guys more money. They all, he, they all thought that the pastor was slipping money under the table to his department, that, they were, that he was pouring money into this department, but the other departments weren't getting any of that. He said, Phil, do you know how many staff members came and asked me how we were even doing what we were doing? He said, zero, this many. Zero asked him. That's the other thing I've noticed about offense is that it's always based on assumption. Very seldom is it based on fact. Is there proof? Is there evidence to convict? He said, even to this day, there's still people that are carrying an offense, holding on to the banana. Won't let go of it. They're trapped in there. I love what T.L. Osborne said. He said, why others criticize, we evangelize people are going to criticize you know doesn't matter I'm doing what God called me to do when I know my lane and I know what God has called me to and I'm walking in it it doesn't it doesn't matter what kind of criticism comes my way I'm not trying to please you I didn't realize this was about you <laughs> I thought this was about him <laughs> You know, don't you guys kind of worship long over vision? I said, yeah, because it's all about him. Yeah, do we? I don't know. It's all about him. It's not about, not about them, amen? So another fruit, we saw anger, we saw dejection. Then the third fruit was this. It was a refusal to do the right thing. Things didn't work out too well for Cain because... <clears throat> Well, let me, let me say it the way I said it on here. So many people decide to stay in the, fen, in the offense. Some will even fight to hang on to the offense. That's what Cain did. And so in Cain's situation, the offense led to bitterness. 
Bitterness led to hatred. Hatred led to murder. Abel was then the first man that was murdered on the earth. So you see the progression. Bitterness, man, that's, a, that's the next step from offense as it turns to bitterness. I remember my pastor in Tulsa, uh, Pastor Billy Joe, he was sharing with me one time about um, how he said that he had talked with a minister that he just really respected, had a lot of respect for and looked up to. And he asked him, he said, tell me, what's the secret to success in ministry? How, do you, how, are you, how can I be successful in ministry? And he said, Pastor, if, if you don't get bitter, you'll make it. In other words, if you don't get bitter, you'll get better. That's a good place to say amen. I, I, have a, I have a thing on my mirror in my bathroom and it says this, today I will live free from offense. I will live to forgive. I will live better, not bitter. Yeah, especially if you're a pastor, you'll have some opportunities. So let's turn over to Numbers 12. Not from you guys, it's from other people. Number, numbers chapter 12. I'm not going to linger there. We're just going to keep this train rolling down the track. Numbers chapter 12. I want to look at another account. This is the account of, uh, well, actually, we'll just start reading and you'll be able to tell exactly what's going on very quickly. Tabitha, are you ready? Verse 1. While they were at Hezeroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more oh. humble. Okay, yeah, Moses is humble. I, I'm sorry, I, want, I meant to stop you. So do you have the new King James Version? Okay, flip over to there. That's what, that's what threw me just a little, but it's really good. <clears throat> so here's, here's Miriam and Aaron. Moses marries an Ethiopian woman. And they get offended by the woman. And so they begin to criticize Moses. They say, has God only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? So, so they criticize him, but the Lord hears it. Oh, I had to, re- I had to repent of some stuff. You know, especially when I begin to study this, I, I just begin to think back and remembered some criticisms in my heart. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. And begin to repent for that because I realized what criticism does. The Lord hears it. Sometimes because there's not an, an immediate result, there's not an immediate punishment, there's not an, an immediate something that happens in the natural to, to say that was not a good idea, you shouldn't have done that. People may think or get the impression that God somehow is not listening. That's where Israel was when Hosea, when Hosea was a prophet in Israel. In fact, this is what Hosea said in, in chapter 7, verse 2. He said, it's, peop- it's people, he's talking about Israel, don't realize, he's speaking on behalf of God. This is a thus saith the Lord. It's people don't realize that I am watching them. Their sinful deeds are all around them, and I see them all. I mean, God is like those security cameras, always listening, always watching. He knows What's going on? Okay, verse four. Did you, you have the new King James? Thanks. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. 
So notice before, and I'm going to have you read verse 6 as well, on down through 8. God doesn't speak to Moses in this scenario. He's only talking to Aaron and Miriam. So go ahead. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Wow. Offense and criticism travel together. Mm. Wow. So what's the fruit of offense in this account? Their offense is that Moses has made a decision that has now disqualified him from leadership. He's done nothing wrong. He married a woman. But suddenly, in their estimation, this disqualifies you. See, they judged Moses based on a preference, not a principle. Yeah, let me share with you something that I experienced in Austin, Texas. I was working for a, a, a church down there that was a good-sized church. And my role at, as assistant pastor was I worked very closely with the pastor. And so when you work intimately and closely with someone, you get to see their strengths and you get to see areas of improvement in their life, right? And so we, we worked on a lot of different things and he made a lot of decisions on a continual basis. Well, the decisions that he made, as long as, as long as I was in agreement with the decision, it seemed to flow really well. But whenever I had a differing opinion, I had a different preference, that was when and there was an issue for me, a frustration. Let's call it a frustration. Because what happens with frustration is it grows into an offense if you don't get a hold of it. And so he would make a decision. I'd be like, man, I wish, I wish he would have gone this direction. And it was, it, it was getting more and more frustrating to me. And so because it's getting frustrating to me, I was starting to slip into offense and I was beginning to criticize decisions. Now, I'm, now who do I criticize to my wife on the drive home. <laughs> and so now she's like carrying the weight of this going, you need to get a hold of this because this is not good that you're criticizing different decisions. And I said, it's not. And so they had an auditorium like this. It was much larger, but it, was, it would be dark in there during the day. Nobody was doing anything. So that was a great place to come and pray. So I would come and get down at the altar and I would cry out to God. Well, I began, I had the answer that I was supposed to be there. God had confirmed it. He had called us to this church in Austin. I mean, we had many affirmations and the way God did it, I knew it was his will that I was where I was supposed to be. So I, so I didn't feel like I could combat that because I'm where I'm supposed to be. I wish more people would, would pray and ask God where they're supposed to be. Because oftentimes people shop for a church like they do an outfit. Oh, this is a nice ensemble. You got great worship. You know, we like the children's department. You know, we like this. We like this. 
And it's like, did you pray? <laughs> I mean, I'm just asking an honest question. And again, this is that corrective side where don't kill the messenger. I'm just delivering the message up here. And um, <clears throat> anyway, so I was really struggling. And I began to pray. I began to ask God. I said, God, I, am I, I know I'm supposed to be here. And I'd heard somebody say, well, you can put in for a transfer. And I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to pray and put in for a transfer. So I did. I put in for a transfer in prayer. And I remember God even gave me the visual to go with his answer. You know, I saw like this state form that said transfer request, like it was like military type form. And it had a big stamp, red stamp on it that said denied. <laughs> I was like, okay, you called me here. You know, sometimes that's what you fall back to. You know, sometimes you can get so caught up or frustrated or disappointed or discouraged in different things. You have to come back to the point to, did God call me here? Because this is the importance of if you're coming to church here and you prayed about it and you feel like the Lord has you here, then that means that he wants to grow and develop and process things in you that are not going to feel good. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> Encouraging me, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Felt all alone out there for a moment. But man, man that's, that's what God wants to do is, is the reward for bearing fruit. Guess what it is? It's pruning. That's the reward for bearing fruit. Why? Because God sees more in there. He wants to pour more pour more out. That's why we are all about doing what we can do to help grow big people because big people manage themselves. I don't have to go chasing after you and beg you to stay. And, oh, God has something for you here, sister, brother. Yeah, that's why I don't chase people that don't want what God is doing in me or in Vision Church. That doesn't bless everybody all the time. But so here I am. Huh? Say it with a smile, Nicole. Say it. It's, it's the best I got. <laughs> and... So anyway, so I'm praying, I'm at, I'm at the altar, I'm just praying, Lord, I said, okay, transfer denied, I got it, I'm here, help me understand how to flow with my pastor, I don't want to live a life of frustration, disappointment, discouragement, criticism, and he said, Phil, uh, well, he didn't say anything, what happened was, the pastor's wife, every week, she would give us a DVD not a DVD, but a CD. Remember the CDs back in the day? And they would get, she would give us a CD of a teaching by some pastor, some minister, and you, and you were supposed to listen to it and then give her, you know, your thoughts on it to just show that you listen to the CD. It was really a great discipleship plan for me because I can't just listen to it. I would outline the entire message. I had to. I just, I can't just listen to it an hour and a half, and then give you two sentences. I don't flow like that. But anyway, and it was, God was really working through that. So she gave me a message by Joyce Meyer. So I'm listening, that was the one of this week. And so I'm listening to this message. And God began to reveal to me through that message the difference between principle and preference. Because much offense is based in preference, not principle. Principle is you break the law. 
pastor is asking me to do something against the word of God. He's asking me to do something that God would not be pleased with. And, or preference is, Gary, you drive, what, a Toyota? What do you drive? Okay. You like Toyotas? I like Chevys. That's a preference. I drive a Chevy. He drives a Toyota. That's a preference. It doesn't matter. I like blue. You know, I like whatever color this is. Gray. John likes blue. I knew I didn't look down this morning. I like gray. John likes blue. This is a preference. I like, I like Doc Martens. I like to wear Doc Martens. Okay. It's a preference. It doesn't mean anything. And so what happened was when I saw that, I was like, Oh, thank you, God. Now, every decision that the pastor makes on the color of carpet, on where the door should be cut, on what the sound system needs to look like, all this is preference. But so many people get offended over preference. When a good question to ask is, is it a principle? Is it a principle? Do I have a right? to be offended by that person when they didn't do anything wrong? Yeah, the answer is no. All right. So are you there in uh, verse 9? So let's see what happened. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Merim became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Mm. So Moses cries out to the Lord on her behalf. Now, these are two people that got offended and came out of it. This is not Saul. Saul didn't have a good ending. Michael, David's wife, didn't have a good ending. She got offended, you know. But here's Miriam and Aaron, and they realize what they've done. And they ask for forgiveness. Moses prays for them, and God heals them. First Chronicles 16, verse 22 says this, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. David really understood this. I think if anybody had a reason to criticize someone, it would be David. David kills Goliath. God brings about this amazing victory, and they slaughter the Philistines. God saves the nation through the hand of David. David's got Goliath's head in his hand, comes back to the tent, got his sword in the other hand (laughs) and they are cheering and they are excited they come back to town and all these ladies from the town come out and they're dancing and they're singing one chorus offended Saul just one chorus David or Saul has slain his thousands David his tens of thousands suddenly Saul is offended that offense cost David everything. David ran for his life. He had to move his entire family to another country 
These 600 men that gathered to him, you remember Joab? Remember Abishai, Joab's brother? Those are David's cousins. These are family members coming and, and helping him. They're probably running from, their, from Saul too. Who knows? But, uh, but my point is, is that David spends his entire life running from Saul. And he has opportunity after opportunity to kill Saul physically. But he says, far be it from me that I touch God's anointed. He means touch him physically or touch him with his words. We never hear David utter anything negative about Saul. He understood. He understood, touch not mine anointed ones. In fact, there were two men that came to David and they thought they were bringing him good news because Saul was dead and they were bringing him the news that they had a hand in it. And you know what David did? He turned to his mighty man and he said, kill him. Does that sound like an offended person? Huh. And then when Saul died, David writes him a love song. He writes a love song for Saul, for Jonathan. That's not an offended person. That's a person that understood not to touch anointed people. Now, how does this affect us? Let's turn over to Mark chapter 6. And that'll be the New King James Version too. Mark, Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 1. And uh, Rebecca, come and help me. I'll make this my last account here. Oh, I've got more I could do. Offense is all through the Bible. It's amazing when you begin to look at it. Mark chapter 6, read verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Jose, Judas, and Simon? And are not these his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So they were offended at him. Okay, wait a minute. This is the Lamb of God. This is the perfect one. And why are they offended at him? They're offended because they said, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom that's been given to him? And what are these mighty works that are performed by his hands? They're offended because he's preaching the word and signs and wonders are following his preaching. This is why they're offended at him. And Jesus says to them in verse four, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. And he could do no mighty works there. This is the downside. This is what offense can produce in an individual's life. Now, I want you to notice the entire town of Nazareth is offended. It's not just one of them. It's all of them. This is why Jesus was not able to do any mighty miracles there because they're all in agreement. We're offended. Yeah. So here's the danger. You get one offended person in the church, in the body. And, and remember, offense and criticism travel together. So 
they begin to critique, they begin to criticize, and it can leak over onto other people. Like spirits attract like spirits. And then what does it do? Offense, again, drinking poison, thinking it's going to kill somebody else. That's how goofy it is. But it could prevent you from receiving the miracle that you need from God. I've met people that really need a miracle in their life, and yet they, they are full of animosity toward certain ministers of the gospel. I'm not saying that's the main reason that they're not doing well physically, but I, but I know it contributes because I see it in the Word of God. You know? If, if the way I treat my wife can affect my prayer life, then why wouldn't offense do the same thing here? We just saw it. And it was the whole city. No honor. No honor. God spoke through Samuel, the prophet, And he said, I will honor those who honor me. I will honor those who honor me. Mm. Wow, see, this is is one thing I just want to make you aware of is Vision Church is not going to be a gathering for critical and negative people and offended people. We're not going to be a house for that. We're not, we can't afford it where we want to go in, in our relationship with God and how we want him to have the red carpet laid out and that he's so excited to get to show up here on Sundays with us. Man, that's our, that's our number one. But we can't have it in an offense culture, culture that's offended. Man, we hear about church hurt and so much of church hurt is based on offense. Wow. Remember John? Even John the Baptist got offended. Jesus was doing some things and he even sent his disciples and said, ask him if he's supposed to be the Messiah or if we should wait for somebody else. And Jesus didn't answer. He said, he took him with him and he laid hands on the sick. (laughs) He preached the good news of the gospel. He healed the lame man. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the dumb can speak. He said, go back and tell John what you've seen. He said, he made a very powerful statement. He said, and blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. Blessed is the man who is not offended. Sounds to me like there's blessing in letting go of offense. And I'm telling you this morning, it's time to let go of the banana. It's time to pull your hand out of the trap. Hmm. Wow. It's crippling. Hmm. I'll read this last scripture here. Matthew uh, 6, verse 14 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You know, oftentimes, people will have a list 
of grievances, maybe against, you know, a church or a pastor or something going on. And if you have a list of grievances, you're already out of love because love keeps no record of wrong. But Nicole and I have had lists presented to us before. <laughs> and, and you read it, and you get done, you know, and, and you think, where's forgiveness? Well, Phil, you don't understand. I, I, was, I was hurt by that church. I, I understand. I understand. Churches and, and pastors do wrong things. That it's called being human. You find a perfect church. Like my father-in-law would say, don't go there because it'll no longer be perfect. <laughs> I love my father-in-law. He's funny. We're going to have him back, by the way. Um, but you know what I mean? I, we live in an imperfect world. We, we're, we're surrounded here in this room with imperfect people. We all have hang-ups and things we're working on, things we're working through, ways that we're improving in our life. So, you know, why would our expectation level in somebody else, you know, be the bar as to whether or not we live for God? I see people that are hurt by the church and then when I, when I dig down and I begin to ask questions, I find out that it's based on a preference. It wasn't even really a principal thing that, that the church did or the pastor did. And then when I find that out, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to them and I'm just going, so why are you not forgiving them? Would you want to be forgiven? Yes, the answer is yes. And so, I, so here, here, here's what I'm driving to. This entire message is driving to this one point. I've avoided it long enough. I might as well spit it out. <laughs> if you're here and you've come from a church that hurt you, maybe you didn't leave right. Maybe you left frustrated, offended. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? So you can... Whew, not going to have me come forward. <clears throat> no, here's what I want to encourage you to do. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to stay at that church, but if you left wrong there, you're going to leave wrong here. Because where you go, there you are. Offense travels with the person. It doesn't affect the one that they're offended at. Does that make sense? And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. If that's you and this message has tapped on your heartstrings or the Holy Spirit has said, has brought something to your, to your remembrance, a person to your remembrance or something else, when you get home, I want you to text, email that pastor and forgive. Ask them to forgive you. We can't, you can't afford to leave one season bad and come into this season and expect everything to be hunky-dory. It, it's not because you didn't leave here right. We have to go back and take care of this. Guys, I'm not preaching something to you I haven't done. I have, oh my word. 
I've apologized to people I wanted to slug. Have you ever been there? Things that they did. And I've asked them to forgive me. I'm not a fist fight kind of guy. I'm sorry. Phil. It means lover, by the way. But I'm asking you to do that. Let's get the air clear. Let's not have anything lingering. And let's make the decision never to leave a church again based on hurt. You can't, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. Because it comes right with you. Wow, that was fun, God. Thanks. Thanks for having me do that. <laughs> no, thank you. Let's give him. Come on. Thank you, Lord. God, we just thank you.